podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. All right, on today's episode, I am so excited to have with me here on Zoom. Over the interwebs, Kanita Hickman, who is the founder and owner of Katera. So welcome, Kanita. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Allison, for having me. Yeah. Um, and you are here because you are just a mover and a shaker in, in the music scene in Wisconsin and have been for a while. And uh, I, I've just been really privileged to get to know you more in the last year or so. And uh, the more I've gotten to know you, the more I wanted to learn even more. So I'm so glad to have you here today. Um, can you tell me a little bit first about what exactly you do right now? That's where I've been wanting to start with people at the beginning. So, so what is what is a day in the life of Kanita Hickman right now? Oh, okay. So I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you what I did today. Um, so I have a, every day is a little different. Um, and so my company, I'll tell you what I did today, and then I'll kind of give you overarching what's happening with the company in this current moment. So today I woke up um, and I decided I wanted to work in my pajamas today. So did that. Um, started working on a project that I have with the Milwaukee Art Museum. Um, it's there. We're doing a block party in connection with the Derek, um, Derek Adams exhibit, which is all about Black people gathering and coming together and that type of thing. And so um, the block party is going to be happening May 21st. And um, it's going to be a full campus activation. So just making sure I have people's contracts, W-9s, sending out logistics because we're having this conversation the Wednesday before that Saturday. So just making sure all of the, the uh, I's were dotted and T's were crossed. And then I moved into another um, project that I'm working on, Music on the Beer Line with uh, Riverworks Development Corporation. So um, reaching out to artists, finding out what their rate is for some programming we'll be doing this summer because we, if Katera is mm -hmm. involved, I'm looking for a way to make sure artists are compensated what they, yeah. say they want to be paid. Um, and so making sure it aligns with our budget and then, you know, I'll be issuing letters of, hey, would you be interested in performing? Um I also made some calls to the Actors Guild because I create content as well. Um, Artist Eats, which is a, a digital um, docu-series uh, featuring independent musicians. And um, I wanted to know what was the equitable rate that I should be paying my team. So having nice. those conversations. Um, and then later on today, I'll finish with doing some rebranding um, not rebranding, but zhuzhing up my bio, my <laughs> resume, my LinkedIn, just to make sure that it's uh, all looking good. Because um, Katera right now is at a point of transition. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this. But, you know, when I first started my career, it was very much so individual artist focused. And now that I'm full time, as I've mentioned to the listeners, my clientele is now more businesses and organizations. Mm -hmm. And so how do I tell that story? 
how do I show the evolution of Katera? And so my team and I at Katera are working on that. So um, I try to commit a little bit of time every day to get those pieces together so that my team can do the rest of the things they need to do. So that's what today looked like. Yeah, that's, that's a busy day. Yes. But it's a fun day. It sounds like it's great work, amazing work. I mean, yeah. How long have you had Katera? So I've owned Katera since 2006. It started off as Kiss Communications and um, it was artist management and public relations for independent musicians. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went full time June of last year, actually June 16th, 2021 was day one of um, me being full time. So I'm coming up on my one year anniversary in a little less than a month. Nice, nice. Well, congratulations. That's a Thank big you. deal. Working for yourself. Yeah. It, it is. And I certainly, you know, I'll say for folks listening, um, I did not think my journey to entrepreneurship would look this way. I definitely um I think I anticipated a lot more struggle. Just when you hear, like, if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur or you're creative or what have you, there's a million horror stories that tell you like you're going to struggle and you might live out of your car and you might have three coffee shop jobs. And you're like, Oh my God. (laughs) Um, but that was not, that has not been my experience this first year. And so I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised and really humbled, um, at the opportunity to continue to do work. And why do you, why do you think that it has been so, um, easy of a transition for you? necessarily say it's been easy or maybe not easy yes (laughs) I'll say I'll say it's been challenging and I Mm -hmm. think as entrepreneurs especially in the creative space I think we expect an immense amount of struggle Mm -hmm. so I'll say I haven't experienced the struggle it's definitely been challenging and I think it's because I I didn't realize that all of the work that I've been doing from 2006 would carry me into this moment Mm -hmm. so I came into this space um yeah, already having clients, already having mm-hmm. done work and able to deepen those relationships with folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something we'll talk about for sure is that, I mean, you've been making relationships, building relationships, talking with people in the scene, in the same area for a long time. And mm-hmm. and that builds trust and um, lots of lots of opportunities because of that. People know who you are. You're not just, a, you know, not just trying to break into the scene by mm-hmm. any means. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's important, but uh, that's amazing. I mean, good for you. I'm so happy for you. And it sounds like it's such fun too. It's work to be exciting, excited about. So yeah, I mean, I'm excited that I get to, you know, first and foremost, I'm excited that I have a team of folks that I can work with. Yeah, that... I was gonna... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask you about them. Uh, who makes up your team and how does that work for you? Yeah, so my team is filled with freelancers. Um, And so there's Chris Siegel, um, who's my lead videographer and does most of my photography. There's uh, Samar Ganai, um, who folks probably saw a ton of, especially during the pandemic. Um, He had this really cool drone shot that made it onto the Rachel Maddow show. Um, Just an incredible videographer and photographer. He came 
onto my radar because of his music photography at concerts. He's just phenomenal. Um, Eric Clepe Montenegro, who owns uh, Palente Media. And so he's a um, photographer and co-videographer. Nicole Esch um, from Five Cats Designs. Um, Glenda, whose name last name is now escaping me, but um, she owns her own photography company as well. Um, Ishell White, who's our music supervisor, who makes sure all of the artists who appear on our show, you know, have their paperwork in order. Um, gosh, I think that is everybody. Oh, wait, shout out to my stylist, Kina Albertin, um, her personal style, my two makeup artists, um, Pastel and uh, Lise uh, Patterson. And my hair person, Jean Kennedy. So yes, that is the team. <laughs> That's the team. That's more than a team. You have like an army right there. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's been seven years in the making though. So like Chris, <sighs> Chris and Nicole have been with me for seven years. Um, and I love the story of how I met Nicole. Um, she was a college student and one of the artists I was working with, he did not have the budget to get graphic design for his album. You know, he's taking care of a household and a wife and all that. And, um, so I reached out to some colleges to make it a class assignment. And so now instead of one CD cover, we had 30, each of the 10 students had to do three concepts. Um, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And so that's how we met her. Her concept won. It was incredible. And I just promised her once she got um, graduated college that I would I wanted to continue working with her. And it's been incredible to see her growth, but also to really build a cool relationship with her. Wow, that is really, really cool. Where was that at? Where was that uh, Art Art Institute. So I think okay. they're now defunct. But um, yeah, Art Institute of Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask you as well about the artist each series that you have, um, because that is such a fun concept as well. Like everything you do is just super creative and, and just like engaging. And I just I mean, I just want to every time I talk to you, I want to learn more. So tell us about the artist eats. Yeah, so Artist Eats initially uh, started off as a joint content with Edible Milwaukee. Um, edible Milwaukee is a part of the edible community. So there's about 70 edible publications across the country, but they're a quarterly publication, very expensive to produce. And because they're quarterly, they don't necessarily get a lot of traffic to the website between issues. And so, um, the owner met me at a vegan taco eating contest that I was emceeing, um, he and I started to collaborate and think through what the content would be. And Katera came up with Artist Eats. And, you know, the premise was really simple, having a conversation with an artist over a local meal and then featuring a performance. That's that's the formula. Um, I work really hard and I've always worked hard in my company to create space for Black, Brown and other over-marginalized communities. Yeah. So proud to say that I get to do that not only with the team of folks that I work with, but also with the folks that we're able to highlight. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Where can people, well, I'll ask you about this at the end, but where do you um, publicize that most? Where do you uh, produce that really? So um, we distributed, of course, through Instagram TV and YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, right now with six pieces of content under our belt, we're looking to talk with distributors and, you know, figure out how can we expand our content. But yeah, I mean, super excited of the work that we get to do and really super excited about 
the quality. I mean, certainly, I think for me and the folks that I work with, the, the team of folks that I work with, we've just made a commitment to doing the best we can. And so we make a high quality product, which means that we can't necessarily churn out content as quickly as other folks. Um, but I didn't want, I didn't want to overestimate what someone else's imagination can do. And so it's much easier, I think, to create it as it should be versus mm -hmm. create a lesser version of that and try to get the audience to imagine what it could look like if you had the resources to do more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that's the methodology I try to bring in, in everything that we touch across Katera. Um, because we do want to show the possibilities of not only what can Milwaukee creatives do, but what can independent creatives do. Um, and so that quality piece for us is so important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds, it's, yeah, it's, it's something that is so necessary and I'm so glad someone like you is taking the charge to do that. So, Thank you. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so now I want to, I want to go back and just find out more about, more about your life and your upbringing and like, you know, how did Kanita get to be where she is now with Katera? And so, uh, I mean, you're, you're originally from the Milwaukee area. We were just talking about where you grew up and went to high school and all that. But can you tell me like, uh, you know, have you always been interested in music and, you know, where did this, this delightful spirit come from and, and when, when did it start evolving? I will say that I have always been stubborn. <laughs> um, and my mother, um, even though she didn't understand it and still doesn't understand it, um, I'm really fortunate that I had a mom who, you know, despite everything that she was going through, you know, managing a household after my father left because of, you know, drug abuse and everything like that. Um, I spent a few years in a wheelchair. Um, and so I... I am amazed that of all of the, the trauma that my mother was experiencing, she was able to find the space to let me do me. So I was definitely her kid who would wear a sweater and overalls in the summer because <laughs> I just love sweaters and overalls. And she'd be like, okay, that's, that's what she's doing today. Okay. Like you'll probably pass out, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> this that's is how, how you learn. <laughs> how you're living um and so she recognized um that writing and communication was something that I was really adept at I started reading at age three so from three beyond I always had a book on me um grew up in a musical house my mother always played music um and so I just think it was a natural progression once I started writing I'll say a pivotal moment was when um I was diagnosed with my auto immune disorders, I had to transfer from a neighborhood school to a school that was equipped to support children with um, physical disabilities. And mm -hmm. so um, my third grade teacher, she had a writing corner. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the beginning. I would sit there for hours in my wheelchair, like making up books um, and bring them home for my mom to read. So one of them was the true story of the gingerbread man, but it was told from the gingerbread man's point of view. <laughs> so like it was in my, there's another, there's a childhood book series. Like if you give a kid a blank and I rewrote it, if you give a kid a bag of chips. And so mm -hmm. my mother was always kind of delighted with like, where my mind mm -hmm. would take these different stories. Um, 
So I will say my writing started around age eight. I still have all of those books that I wrote. Um, And once my mom saw that, she just made it her mission to get me in every writing program she could find. And even at this moment, I'm amazed. Again, she was working two jobs, had two young children. I don't even know how she found the time to Mm -hmm. find these writing programs, especially when for the, the start of that, there was no internet. Right, right, yeah. And so I don't know how these things got on my radar, but every writing program that Milwaukee offered, my mother made sure I was connected. Wow. Yeah. Mom sounds amazing too. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Good for her. Go mom. I would say she was definitely amazing in that, or she definitely is amazing in that she just gave me my space to be different. She knew I was her different kid and (laughs) and that I was just going to do different things. She tells this story of us being me, her putting my sister and I in gymnastics and her leaving and my sister's younger. And so my sister loved to tumble, loves to dance. That was kind of her Mm -hmm. space. And when she came back to pick us up, the instructor was like, well, this one loves to tumble my sister. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and this one was concerned about breaking her neck. And so she (laughs) would not tumble. And my mom was like, okay, so, okay. You're not going to be physical. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> um, and, and that was that. So, yeah, yeah. She at least she knew, you know, she knew where the boundaries were. Right yes. yes. And I think it's interesting that as a young kid that I was, I think I had some clarity about what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And my mother kind of, she accepted she accepted that and she really allowed me that space. And I think for me being in a black household, I think that's very liberating and that's very freeing. And um, it's something that I hold dear to me. So when you talk about like, how did we get here? Once I recognized that I wanted to write um, and once I recognized that I wanted to work with independent musicians, there's this song um, called Soul of a Hustler by Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. And just background for your audience, Sunny, um, back in the day, so like there was MTV, TRL, all that, but on BET, there was 106 in Park. Mm-hmm. And they used to do Freestyle Fridays. And Sunny was the first one to like win this succession of Freestyle Fridays. So he got a deal with Jermaine Dupree over at Virgin Records. And his first single was called Soul of a Hustler. And it was the first song that I'd heard where I never, I didn't hear a chorus. It was just him rapping. And I thought it was the most captivating thing I'd ever heard. I would say that that was a pivotal moment in me saying, oh my gosh, how do I amplify what men like him are doing? What artists like him are doing? It just, it just did something to my spirit to hear him just rap. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a pivotal moment. And then, um, how, when I, how old were you at that time? Do you think, um, uh, late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. So maybe 2021, 20, okay. I knew I was going to write and I, but I thought that I might, uh, be a VJ like the black okay. lady, Carson mm-hmm. Daly. I wanted to yeah. be the black girl, Carson <laughs> Daly. Um, so I thought I might work at MTV. I really couldn't see my, my life beyond, working for MTV and like writing for Vibe magazine. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I would do after that, but wound up staying home, working for different publications. 
And I remember um, somehow somebody put my information on Reverb Nation (laughs) that I was looking to cover independent acts at this magazine I was writing for at the time. And I was getting all of these press kits from artists in Milwaukee, but they were like gross, (laughs) like really gross. Um, How how gross, yeah. uh, So gross. Like Like, I I remember one, he had wrote in red script, red cursive. hmm. And so like, it was a Word document. He typed it in red cursive because red was his his favorite color. (laughs) And he had his photo like in the document. So he didn't send like a separate photo. And I was like, ugh. And then the bio just wasn't really well written. So I remember reaching out to him and saying, would you mind if I just took a stab at rewriting your bio for free and connecting you with a photographer so that we can, I can resubmit a proper press kit to the editor so I can get the clearance to write about you. And then it started to spread that there was this girl who would write your bio for free if you needed help. Um, And so within the rap community in Milwaukee, my name kind of started to spread that way. And honestly, Allison, I think for me, even though I didn't know the word equity then, I recognized that there was such a gap of information and knowledge for Milwaukee artists especially rappers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I started to work more in the music scene, I recognized that there was inequity in terms of where the accessibility to be able to perform. We just Mm -hmm. don't have a ton Mm -hmm. of venues, right? Mm -hmm. And depending on what style of hip hop you might be doing, there may be some venues that just aren't even accessible to you. And so I think for me, it's always been like this, this space of how do I write that wrong? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I can't compel people to help me come up with a solution, how do I come up with a solution? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thread that runs through everything that I do, including Artist Eats. Mm-hmm. Where is the platform for independent artists to just go and share their story and it not be connected to an album release? How do they just share their story in community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, so, um, I guess take me back then to to when you first decided like so you got into writing uh, about music. I, were you able to do that full time right away? No. So I was writing through high school. So I would say age fourteen to like eighteen, and then I went to a graduation party and seen a guy carrying crates for a DJ because back then we we were still using records, and I was like, <laughs> I want to carry crates because again in my mind. Carson Daly had radio TV. I wanted radio TV and print. And mm-hmm. so I recognized this was an opportunity to get into radio. So I'm at a graduation. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. I went to a graduation. And again, my methodology, go to parties early, good parking. You get access to the freshest food. So I'm there early, which is how mm-hmm. I saw the DJ carrying crates. And he said, I'm an intern at a radio station. I think I can get you an interview. And this was maybe a Thursday or Friday. By that Monday, I was working for 8.60 a.m. As, wow. So they gave me my own show called MPS Live. And Homer Blow, um, who was the program director then and is now, said, I'm going to teach you everything that every guy here knows. Nice. By the time we're done, you're going to know everything that every guy in the building knows how to do. And so... I was there for a year and I learned everything and I learned how to do it as well as them. That's amazing. What do you, I mean, it seems like that, that guy Homer, like, like he just, um, 
Like he just knew something, you know, like, like why, why else would you say it that way? You know? Um, you know what? That's an interesting question because I don't, I just remember in that moment feeling good because I think I've told people this before. I didn't see being black as a limitation because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in a household where I was, where being black was even acknowledged. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. I believed that being a woman was my limitation. Mm-hmm. So going into a radio station and him hiring me as an intern and him saying, you're going to learn everything that every guy here knows how to do. In my mind, I just felt like, great. That's what I mm-hmm. need. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to do the long hours. Put me in the game. Um, and I learned everything. I learned how to engineer radio shows. Um, Homer... <laughs> I remember Homer and I got into an argument because I met, I was going into my freshman year. I'd met a guy at school who was a producer from Green Bay. And Homer was like, you can't use his music on your show. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because it's predictable. He taught me how to count beats. He's like, I can, I can tell you when his beat is going to change. Watch. And so we counted his beat. And I was just like, so? And he's like, no, it's not, it's not imaginative. Like, no, we're not, you're not putting it on your show. We're not putting it on the airwaves. And we didn't. But those moments were so critical for me. And at that time, I didn't even think I would get into artist management. Mm-hmm. Like how that happened was just, yeah. So I, I did radio. And after a year, he was like, it's time for you to go. <laughs> There's no job for he- here for you. Got to go. So I did a little bit of time at Kiss FM. And then I did another year interning at V100. Nice. Um, engineering their syndicated shows and that type of thing, um, learning about trade magazines. Mm-hmm. And then I went back into writing. Mm-hmm. And that led me into artist management. That's amazing. And yeah. I mean, and uh, and actually, now that you're talking about it this way, um, uh, one of the people that is kind of like a, a mutual connection between us is Emily White, who also has done artist management and something that we've talked about is uh the very you know a lot of people want to get into artist management um and and you know it's it's something that often happens more organically as a result of doing something different um before you actually get that as a job you know it's it's much more a relationship built um as opposed to like I'm going to be an artist manager and this is what I need to do like I don't know would you kind of say that at all? I mean, I feel like I was kind of tricked into it. Really? Uh (laughs) Yeah. So like I I make this transition. The guy who got me the intern position at the radio station, his name is DJ Stretch. Um, That's an amazing DJ name. Yes. It's because he's so (laughs) tall and lanky. And so DJ Stretch and I um, decided to do an unsigned artist showcase. So we put that together and he said, I know this, this young guy who can help us. He can be our intern named Roger. And Roger was an interesting guy, a skateboarder, but he just knew people and knew how to talk to people. So we would just give him flyers. He would hop on his skateboard and he would just blast them around the city. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. So as the event is coming up, he says, I have a friend who raps and I think you should meet him because you might want to manage him. I had never managed artists really at this point. Um, I kind of dabbled a little bit, but nothing formal. And, um, so I meet this guy, I try to get him in the showcase. He says, no, his name is young focus. He's like, no, I I don't like to compete against other rappers. Okay. And so at the end of the showcase, they decide to become a group. Mm -hmm. 
And somehow they wind up getting a gig that never panned out outside of the state. And they asked me to look over the contract. I gave them a little bit of insight. And then they said, hey, we actually just told them you're our manager. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, but I'm not your manager. And they're like, you are now. And we're called the Cranberry Show. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, no, that's our name because we're diluting the rap system. Like um, cranberry juice dilutes your kidneys. And I'm like, oh my God. What? I don't, I don't know how I'm going to sell two black skateboarders <laughs> called the Cranberry Show. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Why did you tell people I'm your manager? But honestly, working with them is what really put me on the scene as a manager. Huh. Yep. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And, I mean, and, oh, in what ahead. ways? Yeah. Um, I think in the way that first I was a woman, mm-hmm. but also I was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I was good because I, I'm a solution seeker. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, simple things like, okay, let's do a prom performance. Nobody else was interested in doing proms. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did prom. We did get kicked out of the prom. Because, really? Yes. We had a show at, at the time at Stonefly, which is now Company Brewing, and they brought Silly String. And we did prom at their alma mater. So they brought their skateboard decks. They had Silly String because we were going to Stonefly right after this performance at their high school. Um, But somehow some of the girls, first of all, seeing girls on skateboards and dresses, I was like, (laughs) this this night probably isn't going to end well. Um, But somehow someone pulled out the Silly String. So now there's Silly String at this formal event. And this high school promptly cut the music and escorted us off. And I was so embarrassed because I had never been kicked out of anywhere. (laughs) Certainly not a high school in the suburbs. It was the worst, (laughs) right? Um, I was just mortified, mortified. Um, But we also started doing shows at skate parks in Minneapolis. Okay. And because, because again... This was an opportunity that other artists couldn't take on mm-hmm. because not only were we a, a hip hop group, but we had this niche market of skateboard culture mm-hmm. that we understood mm-hmm. in a way that no one else did. And so this game, so I think for me, my mind is always looking for connections. It's always looking for partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I was kind of ruthless a little bit. So, you know, if somebody would call us and be like, um, you know, we want to, we want to sponsor your artist, right? Like I was able to kind of cut through the BS and be like, no, you don't want to sponsor. You want a model. You want us to wear your shirts. So you're going to have to pay us. So a lot of mm-hmm. people also didn't want to work with us because they didn't want to have to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think some of my brashness, if I'm being frank, was connected to some of my insecurities as well of how I needed to show up as a woman and as a black woman, mm-hmm. um, in the music space in Mil- in Milwaukee, um, mm-hmm. I've grown out of most of that, but <laughs> most of it. <laughs> the parts that you needed to. Yeah. The parts that I needed to. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's an amazing story. I love that. The, the Cranberry Show. How long were you working with them? So we worked together for about two years. And then I decided to leave the group because the music was starting to change. And I just wasn't sure if I wanted to do that. I think the other thing that I noticed. So I went on to manage two additional groups beyond that. I really didn't like artist management. Mm -hmm. I felt it was very limiting. It felt like babysitting artists to some extent. 
And again, at that time, we weren't using the word branding. Mm. But I recognized that what I wanted to do was to create opportunities for independent artists beyond the stage. Mm -hmm. And so how could I engage them based around their interests? You know, so for, um, well, they love fruit snacks. So there there really was no... (laughs) There wasn't a ton of pathways there, but like, how did I, how could I create opportunities for them to be visible in these other ways? Um, And I, I had to take some time away from music to really kind of think through what that might be. And that was actually the, the rebrand into Katera. Um, So yeah, that, that's kind of what's led me here, recognizing that there was really so much more. I didn't want to book artist. I wasn't necessarily interested in sending out press releases for every show. You could hire somebody else to do that. I wanted to help you do all of these other things. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And then along the way, you've just been involved in a lot of different organizations and just, you know, you've, you've had your hand in a lot of different things and um, you, you were on involved with the whammy board and things like that. I mean, would you like to talk about that at all? Yeah. So I was whammy's, um, vice president, I believe I was their first black woman president. Um, and it was cool. Nice. It was a it whammy for me was an opportunity. I purposely became a member um because I wanted to learn more about Milwaukee music. Mm-hmm. I mean, or statewide music. But before I became a member, I just kept emailing them. And mm-hmm. I remember getting an email back from one of the um board members at the time who was like, Are you real? Do you exist? Mm -hmm. Because you email us for resources, but we've literally never seen you. And I was like, I Mm -hmm. promise I'm going to come to a meeting. Uh, So to that end, we did prom again with one of my (laughs) other artists. We did prom for Rufus King and we hired a set director and lighting technician and worked with Milwaukee Youth Symphony Orchestra and transposed all the music into sheet music. This was like a four or five month project. And then we put it on DVD. And it was a Whammy member who actually recorded the content for the DVD. Um, And so that was my, and so once that connection happened, I was like, okay, I got to come to a meeting now because y'all really helped me out with this thing. So it was so incredible to me to learn about Wisconsin's rich musical history, to learn about these different folk bands and Americana and just to learn about how important music was beyond Milwaukee, beyond Madison and Appleton and Lawrence Mm -hmm. University. And so like, it was an incredible opportunity for me to just see how diverse Mm -hmm. our music scene really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, and often those scenes need to know about more of the the city scenes too. So it was probably a very cross beneficial relationship. So um, good to have you involved there. Yeah. I mean, I, and it was, I recognized that my blind spot is that I didn't know what other genres were doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about Kohansky's Concertina Hall. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I was, um, around as Mile of Music was really beginning and I actually volunteered there just to be able to learn about the things and and things like that. And so like, it was an opportunity to immerse myself in Wisconsin music in a different way. And in a way that my hip hop colleagues really had no interest in doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Um, It's, I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many more things that we can do when we're all working together for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I was just going to start asking you a few more questions based on, uh, like what, what you've experienced in this scene. Uh, but was there anything else that, um, that came up in your career along the way that you wanted to talk about? No, I think I feel really blessed and fortunate to have been in this career this long. And I think for me, so I'm a spiritual person. And so I, I feel like I've just always had like the faith of a mustard seed that somehow mm -hmm. this would work out. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure how, I wasn't sure what that could look like, but I just believed if I continued to do work that I really loved and felt like I was called to do that somehow, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I could make a living from it. And mm -hmm. so I feel fortunate that I stuck with it, that I have the support of my family. So when you asked me about like freelancing or whatever, you know, I remember my mom was like, you don't have to work. You can mm -hmm. just freelance, right? And like a couple Saturdays a month, I would just go to Barnes and Nobles and pick up every mm -hmm. magazine I wanted to write for. And I would look at their masthead, look at who the editors were, and I would send them clips of my work and mm -hmm. tell them the first one was free. Like, mm -hmm. just publish me. Mm -hmm. I really want the byline. Publish me. Smart. Yeah. And I mean, but I was able to build you know, this portfolio where I wrote for magazines in Toronto and online publications mm -hmm. in Germany. And I was doing that all while living in my mom's house. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's, I mean, I, who even thinks that way? Like that's so, so smart of you, like so early on to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. What have been some of the bigger challenges for you along your way in the music industry? Or in life in general. <laughs> this, is, this is not going to win me any friends, but Milwaukee, Milwaukee <laughs> has been the challenge. <laughs> Milwaukee has been the challenge. How so? Um, in all the ways. You know, I think I, part of my disappointment, so as you know, your listeners may not know, but in December 2021, I was um, awarded the 2021 Music Ambassador of the Year from Radio mm -hmm. Milwaukee. But... I am only the second Black person to receive it and the first Black woman mm -hmm. in 11 years of this award. Mm -hmm. The first Black person to get it was actually Vic Thomas mm -hmm. um, 10, 11 years ago. And he is one of the heavyweights over at Summerfest. Mm -hmm. um, but I know him through Whammy. Mm -hmm. He used to be Santa at our holiday parties. <laughs> so like... <laughs> Vic Thomas is the homie. So shout out to, to, to Vic. And again, just all of the um, insight and lunches he would do to help mold me mm -hmm. along, along the way. But I think that Milwaukee right now, we're in a really interesting time. I think one, we have not co cultivated a space where people truly appreciate, we're consumers, truly mm -hmm. appreciate the importance of independent creatives, mm -hmm. right? This mm -hmm. idea of paying an equitable rate. Um, getting yeah. on alignment of what an equitable rate should be, mm -hmm. right? Like I cannot take a percentage of the door anymore, right? Mm -hmm. That's not an acceptable pathway, right? Um, but also in how we treat the different disciplines. Mm -hmm. So I wish that more of these arts funds, which we don't have a ton of to begin with, right. and these philanthropists, who we have way more of in Milwaukee, would consider how to build out grants for other artists' disciplines to receive money. 
I have several examples of this. One, when my art, if my artist that I managed back in the day wanted to go on tour, or even any of the artists connected to Wisconsin Music Ventures, mm -hmm. there is no grant they can plug into here in Milwaukee that will help them put together a regional tour. Mm -hmm. There is no um, independent ticketing platform like a Live Nation, which is something that Katera eventually wants to do. I not only mm -hmm. want to take care of the logistics for artists who want to tour, um, but also service PR and marketing support. So how to how to set up those interviews when you're going into these other spaces. But here we are, we're talking about, I've been doing music since 2006. We're in 2022. These things still don't exist. We are mm -hmm. home to the world's largest music festival. How? Yes. Yes, How is this possible, right? Even our muralists have to be connected with a nonprofit in order to gain access to grants. Um, and even then, it doesn't necessarily take an account. It doesn't allow them to live, right? Mm -hmm. So God forbid you have a full-time job, but you take on this muralist project and you have to take off from your day job that's paying mm -hmm. you, but also you can't necessarily get paid for your labor through this grant. You're paid for mm -hmm. supplies and you know, if you're, if you have a fiscal agent, which you need, um, they're going to take an administrative fee. Like those things don't mm -hmm. feel incredibly equitable to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to create opportunities for other disciplines to be able to get access to money. And we also needed an infrastructure that supports artists, again, public relations, um, branding, mm -hmm. um, partnership opportunities, right? So, you know, often when we think about now I'm on my soapbox, but often, you know, when we think I about like, <laughs> when we think about like brand partnership deals like that, you know, you have your Beyonce Ivy Park with Adidas, you have all of these micro collaborations that McDonald's did with Mariah Carey and BTS and Sweetie, right? But that's very, that's very macro, very high level. Mm -hmm. For independent artists, they are also nano and micro influencers. Where is that connection of connecting them to advocacy work and brand partnership work where they can be compensated too? Katera has stepped into this space. We've been doing some of that work, but look at how long it's taken to get to this place. Um, so those are, those are very challenging things to me. Um, the fact that we don't necessarily have a community of folks that we can rely on to consistently keep money in pockets of mm -hmm. artists in exchange for you consuming the art that you're consuming anyways. Two, that there aren't more funding sources that are equitable across disciplines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those would be absolutely. Yeah. And they're huge things, but they're, they're things that other states and cities are doing. Um, and we are very lacking on for sure. For yes. Sure. So that's kind of that's kind of my soapbox. Every time someone asks me that question, I point there. That's that's the thing. And again, when you when we have the world's largest music festival, our musicians should be better taken care of. Frankly, I don't think our musicians should be the last thing to be filled on these stages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They should be first. And yes, somebody pointed, absolutely. Somebody pointed, somebody pointed out to me, and so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, pre people at Summerfest, don't be angry. But someone pointed out to me last year, it was the independent artist that carried Summerfest because absolutely. you couldn't bring in other acts because of the pandemic. Exactly. And so that same love has not been reciprocated this year. 
Absolutely. We've we've gone back to normal in a lot of ways. And I think that the pandemic was an opportunity for us to, um, to really reset and rethink about how do we not only center independent artists, but how do we also make sure that black and brown and other over marginalized communities who are artists are also Mm -hmm. centered? Um, Yeah. A real missed opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Are there ways, like, what do you think would be the number one or number one and two priorities to fix some of this? Besides, like, just, you know, uh, other foundations being set up or, um, you know, just the, um, you know, public policies being made and things like that. I think someone who has access to money has to take the initiative. Someone has Mm -hmm. to be the first to say, we can start this micro grant here that's available for artists who want to tour. So whether it's musicians, whether it's authors, um, whether it's um, local theater groups. I think the other thing is we have to look at um, how do we engage our creatives beyond the stage? So one of, I think Mm -hmm. one of the easiest ways, you know, so I, prior to the pandemic, I got asked a lot to emcee different events and things like that. And I would get on stage and afterwards I would think, well, why didn't they hire a podcaster? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like how, how great would that have been to have hired a podcaster to emcee this event? Um, And so there's some events that I've passed on and I've I've offered recommendations to other folks, but um, I think utilizing our creatives in this different way and really being imaginative about what does it look like to be a city that to some extent is led and fueled by creatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That Wouldn't that be? The I think those step? are tangible steps. I think the other tangible thing for consumers is to buy more independent art. Yeah. Buy, buy more books by independent authors. Hit up your, you know, you've got Boswell, you've got La Revo bookstore, you have a niche bookstore. Um, niche is Black woman-owned. La Revo is Latinx woman-owned, woman, woman owned, um, mm-hmm. both independent. Boswell, also independent. Um, I think Roots MKE, it's more youth-centered, but Black woman-owned bookstore. So mm-hmm. get out there, support your local authors, support your local artists. I have original artwork in my home, but y'all, you can make payment mm-hmm. arrangements on that. Every mm-hmm. piece of artwork in my home, I have made an arrange payment arrangement. Yeah. Consume art. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, it might be a little bit off the beaten path, but um, but you can absolutely find some amazing independent artists, uh, musically or visually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I know it the, everything else is so easy to find. It pops up at you on your screen all the time, but... Uh, just go the extra step and, and find someone local or independent. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. Very well said. Yeah. Um, what have been, has there been a biggest lesson that you've learned along the way from being in the music industry? Yeah. I think the biggest lesson for me has been to stay true to yourself, mm-hmm. to ground yourself in the calling of your spirit because mm-hmm. it won't let you down. Mm-hmm. And on my most trying days, I work really hard to quiet myself and to ground myself, um, whether it's through meditation, prayer, um, conversations with God. I ground myself in that way and really just dig deep into what is the calling of my spirit and calling it up my soul 
And that's the manifestation of Katera. That is the Mm -hmm. calling of my spirit. And so sometimes that requires me to take big jumps and make big asks. Um, But other times, you know, it requires me to do a little bit more research. But I, I feel this cosmic energetic pull in this direction that requires mm-hmm. me to do specific type of work. So that would that would be my uh, biggest learning lesson. And the fact that I believe the universe will show up for you. So for years mm-hmm. I was doing this work and not getting paid or getting paid pennies or whatever. Now I can actually manage a ho- household mm-hmm. and I've been able to do that for, for over a year and it or almost a year. And it took me a while to get here, but I would say it was because at times I was not following the call of my spirit. I was watching Instagram and trying to mm-hmm. do what other people were doing, but your calling is your calling and no one can do what you do. And mm-hmm. so become still with yourself and dig deep of what that thing is and then get to it. That, that's mm-hmm. my lesson. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah, we can all use that reminder. Um, yeah, especially in the creative field. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what advice would you give to someone looking to do what you're doing, looking to be maybe a writer in uh, music journalism or uh, even just to start their own independent company in, in music or or in radio, something like that? Um, become a oh, student. <laughs> be, yeah, become a student yes. of it for sure. Um, find people who are in the direction you want to go and ask them to be your mentors. If nothing else, ask them to lunch, to learn about them and kind of their journey and what advice would they give you? Take the free advice, mm-hmm. take the free advice, apply it to what you do, but yeah, become a student of it. Um, but also recognize that your path won't be everybody else's. And so mm-hmm what you're doing is really on this journey by yourself and kind of taking all of the things you can, that'll help you. As my mom says, you know, take in the information, use what you can discard the rest. And so um, don't get caught up in everything everyone tells you to do. Use what you can to help you continue um, on your journey. So yeah, I think that would be my thing. Become a student of it, become good Mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And allow yourself to dream boldly. You know, I think even now as I'm talking to you, Allison, you know, some of this advocacy work that I'm connecting artists to, there's still not really a market for that. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of folks who don't understand why would I work with an independent musician and why should I spend dollars on that? Um, But for the folks who get it, they get it. And we're Mm -hmm. able, Katera is able to provide results. Um, So yeah, become a student of it but also dream big and then get after the dream. I'll, I'll say, I'll mention this. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to be, do some influencer work for um, an intimate apparel store here in Milwaukee. We did a 10 month campaign. It was absolutely chef's kiss. Um, like the photos were stunning that my team put together. Like we did a lot of work during the pandemic. So I'm working with my mm-hmm. stylist in Nashville But I had kind of put that in motion maybe seven months prior. I was dating this guy and I just said, how would you feel if I did like a lingerie photo shoot? And he was just like, that's kind of like being a Victoria's Secret model, right? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. 
yeah, sure, I guess. Um, and then six months later, the store that I was already a customer at asked me to be a brand ambassador. And I think she thought that I was just going to take pictures in my bedroom. And I'm like, bro, that's weird. We're not going to do that. <laughs> We're going to do a full scale campaign just as any other company would. Right. For me, that campaign was proof of concept of one. Could a nano influencer bring people to the store? Can I increase sales? Can I increase brand awareness? Right. And do we have the metrics to support that? The answer is yes to all three. But also, could we really put together a kick-ass campaign mm -hmm. that people look forward to every month? Our first photo shoot was at Alice's Gardens over mm -hmm. on Fond du Lac. Um, we shot at Ray Nitty's Creative Corridor, um, which was like this old industrial space. We shot at Villa Terrace. Mm -hmm. That was the first time they'd That's ever done amazing. a lingerie campaign. Wow. Um, and I feel bad for the young lady they had open in the building because I don't think they told her that's what we were doing. <laughs> so when I came out the dressing room in lingerie, she like averted her eyes and her face turned red. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. That's funny. She's, she's seeing my chocolate cakes and she doesn't know what to do. <laughs> And so, like, we really wanted to create something that was imaginative and that allowed women, that allowed plus-size women um, to see themselves in these new ways. Hold on one second. My alarm is going off. Mm -hmm. Speaking of grounding yourself, um, that is my alarm to tell me it's time to meditate. But... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we wanted to put together this imaginative thing. And so like the point of all that story is that those opportunities persist for independent creatives. Mm -hmm. You know, even for somebody like you, you have so many hobbies and interests beyond your work at Wisconsin Music Ventures. What does it look like when we're able to connect your story to a company, to an advocacy group, you know? Habitat for Humanity, whoever. Like, mm -hmm. what does that look like when Katera is able to build these campaigns to help artists make money and live within their values beyond a stage? That's that's the work of Katera. That's mm -hmm. what we're after. Mm -hmm. And we want to do that, that on an international level. So I want to activate independent creatives all over the country through brand campaigns, through live event production and touring, and through Artist Eats. I want... Yes. I want Beyonce to be like, I wonder who's popping in Milwaukee. And she comes to Katera's website and she sees you and she sees yeah. you, right? Like that's, that is the next iteration of what we're building. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, what, do, what do you have to look forward to right now as far as what Katera is working on? You talked about some of those things, but... Uh, I think the space to be free to ideate. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really fortunate that the folks that I work with through Katera, the team, um, they hold me accountable. So when I'm like, oh, we could just, we could just use an iPhone and make that happen. They like, no, <laughs> no, we cannot. And I'm like, all right. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm thankful that I have a team of folks I can share my dream with and that they hold me accountable to it. Um, so yeah, I'm, i I think for me, at least being a black woman, owning my own company has given me a space of liberation, a space to dream and a space to ideate as much as I want to, 
and then figure out how to make that happen. So that's what excites me, the freedom to be able to ideate and to be able to support independent creatives along the way. Yeah. You're, yeah, I love this passion. It's I, I knew that you were going to be fun to talk with. <laughs> it's just so much more exciting than I could even have imagined. So thank you so much. Is there anything that we didn't discuss here that you'd like to bring up? Uh, that that no. definitely should be said. No, nothing I can think of. Well, yes, again, everybody listening, you can do one thing today, which is use your Instagram search engine, your LinkedIn search engine, and find a creative to consume, mm-hmm. to consume their work. You can do that right now today for free. Just start following an artist. And then mm-hmm. that'll change your algorithms and other artists will appear. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> This is true. (laughs) And you will start to experience other artists. Change your algorithms, change your life, right? (laughs) Change your algorithms, change your life. Put that on a t-shirt, Allison. (laughs) I love it. Okay, we'll go start selling. (laughs) Love it. Um, Where can we find more information on you and Kotera? Yes, so you can find me um, on Instagram at Kotera Music, C-A- T-E-R-A music. You can also find me on Instagram at Artist Eats. Um, LinkedIn, you can find me at Kenita Hickman. And then um, YouTube, Artist Eats and Kenita Hickman. And so those are all the connections. And if you're following me there, you'll be able to see when we launch our first ever website. It's coming soon. We're working on it right now. Yay! So exciting. Well, Kanita Hickman, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a blast, and um, I look forward to seeing what's to come for you. And uh, and maybe, maybe by this time next year, we'll check back and we'll have better things to report on what has changed. You know what? I'm manifesting that for both of us, that both of us will have amazing things to report about what this this year has given us. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the platform. And thank you, everyone, for listening to my long winded answers. I appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> hey, but they are very inspirational answers. So I, I think we will all go come away from this interview. Um, better people and very motivated people. That's for sure. So thank you. Can you thank you? Thanks for listening to the Musicians Venture Podcast. Please leave ratings and reviews from where you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for information on what we have happening, past episodes, and ways to get in touch with us. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music by Mike Newmeyer. Thanks again for listening.